0: Take us with you. Download HIV care tools today.
1: Welcome to Nika in the Know, a podcast for healthcare providers in the HIV field. I'm Mariana Braitman. Today, I'm sitting down with John Faragon to talk about the recently presented poster about the use of Bictegravir, Emtricitabine, tenofovir, Alafenamide with. <laughs> Deraverine, that's a mouthful, as an option for treatment experienced patients. Welcome again, John.
2: Um, Thanks, Marianne. I appreciate the opportunity to come back and talk about this regimen.
1: So, John, can you tell us first a little bit of background on this regimen for listeners?
2: Yeah, so um, I think this is a good one to kind of talk a little bit about today. Uh, I, I I think most people would agree with me if you are doing HIV treatment. Um, the management of highly treated, experienced patients resistance, you know, it can really be challenging. And you know, we do have a lot of good options nowadays. You know, we have, you know, drugs that are out there that we can add to regimens to kind of make make the pill burden smaller and, and also, uh, you know, provide some level of viral suppression. Uh, but it often some of these regimens often require multiple tablets a day um, to get people to this attain this undetectable viral load to get people, you know, under forty copies or twenty copies, depending on what your assay is. But in addition to this complex drug interactions um, um, that can also occur, which can also often complicate some of these regimens selected. So, so the current DHS guidelines recommend really the use of at least two fully active drugs. So back in the day when I originally trained with HIV, you know, we always talked about having three active drugs, and now it's probably two. Um, as long as one of those drugs, you know, especially in these highly treatment experienced patients, has really a high barrier to resistance. So ideally, um, before people get to a point where they've lost the, their um, all of their drugs, hopefully, um, you still have either um, boosted darunavir or darunavir potentially even bactavir, I guess, um, available for uh, for use in um, uh, in these some of these combinations. And usually, those are probably some of our highest barrier drugs. Um, the availability of some of the single tablet regimens has made this a little bit easier too. Um, because you can combine some of these single tablet regimens that are triple drug therapy, you can combine them with with other drugs and kind of put together a regimen for somebody with, with hopefully with fewer pills than we used to use maybe five or 10 years ago. So the availability of these single tablet regimens has made this a lot easier. And the use of some of the newer combinations can also, again, reduce this pill burden. But sometimes even in, if the medications with only partial action activity, you know, may still provide some benefits. So one of the classic examples that many of you may be aware of, but we often maintain this M184V. It's it's one of those mutations that uh, that that is similar or, or common with like drugs like emtricitabine uh, and lamivudine. But it really shows if you look at that mutation, sometimes it makes TAF or TDF work better, so the activity is better. And sometimes it'll even uh, drop the replication capacity of the virus, depending on, on on whether or not you have that data from back in the day. It's really not reported that much anymore. But you know these are just little nuances. I think that many of us that have been doing this for for a while kind of think about when we're trying to figure out what regimen to either recommend if we're a pharmacist or to even prescribe if you're one of the providers out there listening today. So in this study, what they did was they took people who were highly human experienced with HIV um, and they switched them from a, a combination of ropivirine, mtracitabine, tenofovir, which again, that's um, that, that combination is known as um, OdeFC on, on the market. And they had those patients that combined with dolutegravir which is Tivacay. Uh, and then they, they switched them from that regimen to Bictegavir, emtricitabine, tenofovir alafenamide, so bicTAF, bftaf, bf um, plus a, a non-nucleoside called deravirine, which kind of replaces the reprimirine. So if you think about those drugs, basically it's a non-nuke, an integrase plus two nukes, changing it to another integrase and changing it to another non-nuke and keeping basically the, the nuke backbone, the TAF-FTC, the same. So it's not... It's not earth shattering data, but it's interesting that now we would have some of this information on Wtegavir plus uh, uh, Deraverine, Wtegavir plus um, Deraverine together. Now we'd have Bictegavir plus Deraverine together, which I think is um, is, is, uh, is an interesting combination to think of.
1: Okay, so let's get into specifics. What exactly can you tell us about how this study was conducted and who was involved?
2: Yeah, so first of all, I think it's important. You know, This actually was recently published in AIDS earlier this year. Uh, it, it was, um, there was a poster version, I believe, as well um, earlier in this year. But it was an open label study in highly treatment experienced patients from primary care practice in the United States. So basically, patients were male, all, all men, um, and they're all aged over 45. So when we think about our, our over 50 patients, as our patients get older, a lot of these patients that, that have highly treatment experience are usually older because they tend to be uh, people who are on older regimens years ago. But they had documented resistance to PIs so produce inhibitors, nucleosides, and NNRTIs, but no resistance to daravirine or epivirine, which would make sense. You don't want to have any non nuclear resistance and then put them on it, right? Um, and they also could not have uh, the mutation K65 or one of, the, one of these insertion mutations called T69. Now, for those of you who don't know, this K65R is a, is the, is a signature mutation for tenofovir, and, and we'll wipe that out. Uh, in many in many situations. And then the T69 insertion insertion mutation often is accompanied by other mutations that make this very, very difficult for Tinofru to be fully active. So because of that, they they excluded people with either 65 or this 69 insertion mutation. And so in addition to that, the patients had to be on ropivirine with FTC and TAP plus study for at least six months prior to to enrollment. So they were on this previous regimen for about six months. Um, at least, um, and and the end point was basically looking at virologic suppression at 48 weeks once they were switched, and then they looked at safety, tolerability, and also some changes in BMI, and interesting too, which is really helpful here, they had a PK analysis with BIC and deravoryment together. So again, as I mentioned before, all men, so there were only 20, 20 males, that's the, that was the, that was the, the, the number of the N in the study. Uh, median age was 65, age 46 to 74, so again, some of the patients were actually over 70, uh, median time since HIV diagnosed was 37 years, so the range was 12 to 42. So we're talking about people who've been infected for many, many years, and most likely were probably infected, you know, um, likely in in 2000, uh, you know, in in the 1990 to, to 2000 range. So I mean, some of these patients, you know, up to up to uh, up to up to uh, 42 years of of infection. Um, had completed the study. So the bf plus deravirin was really well-tolerated, no serious treatment adverse events, no changes in BMI. And the interesting part, just by switching these patients, 100% of them stayed undetectable, which we would expect. And most of the time, I remember one of our old doctors, doctors who trained with me, or trained me, and taught me a lot of what I know. He used to say, if they're undetectable, if they get there, they usually stay there if you switch them to a regimen that they're gonna be susceptible to. And this is a perfect example. So they stayed undetectable 100%. Um, just to give you a background, some of the patients, 95% were white non-Hispanic Latino CD4s at baseline was around 624. So despite the fact they had highly true experience, they had some pretty decent TCD4 cells and that range was some 193 to 1273. And then the median number of, of agents with reduced activity was four uh, in, in the NNRTI class, one in NNRTIs and four in the PI. So again, Marianne, a very kind of not um, highly true experience, but again, uh, a, a number of patients who were undetectable doing well And then switched over to this new regimen to see if they stay undetectable Uh, and and it showed to be showed to be pretty effective in in that in that um, with 100% of patients staying undetectable when they looked at people at 48 weeks.
1: And what can you tell us about the pharmacokinetics of the regimen?
2: Yeah, so one of your favorite words, right? Uh, Mariana loves to say pharmacokinetics, right? We always joke about it, but it's a, it's pharmacokinetics is is you know what, what pharmacists do, right? The, the one thing we care about is PK. We, we want to know how do the drugs pair together and what's the drug interactions. And so this is a perfect example. Um, show so sure so the so the PK for Vic, they were consistent um, with historical data. So when you look at basically what the levels should be. You know, what were they? And they were very similar to that um, when they looked at plasma, uh, Bictegravir, and Deraverine levels. And they were all in range. So this all, data also suggests that there was no significant an, interaction when you're combining Bic with Deraverine together. Now, the one thing we often forget about is that Bic, uh, Bictegravir, while there may be, um, investigationally, they may have Bictegravir alone. Uh, in you know, commercially, it's only Biftegravir with TAF-FTC combined as, as, a, as a single tablet regimen, as a triple therapy, uh, all-in-one. So, um, and that's what they looked at in, in this study. So, this is helpful to know that this, uh, this BF-TAF plus teravirin pairs well pharmacokinetically so that there's not any significant drug interactions that would lead to the reductions in either medication. And obviously, now we have some good outcome data, small numbers of patients, but at least we know that patients did pretty well.
1: So, what does this all mean for practice? What are the implications?
2: Yeah, so you know, not earth shattering, right? But this study, it's not, you no, know, it's not, it's not changing a pill burn, right? Because they went from two pills to two pills. But I think um, what it does is it actually gives us a, uh, a sense of how we potentially simplify some aspects of HIV for older patients living with HIV. And we didn't talk about this, but the hasn't has some advantages over um, over real pivaring in that there's no. Um, uh, H2 blocker interaction, no PPI interactions. So, for as our patients get older, if they require PPI or they require an H2 blocker, you'd have to separate that with, with from ropivirine. So, darvayine has that advantage. Another key advantage is that with ropivirine, you really need to take that drug with food. And, and as you know, as patients get older, they may not be eating food when they're taking their antiretrovirals. And that's something to think about too, where this actually potentially could could be potentially um, uh, an advantage. It also provides insight into that. Um, that bic and deravirine so now we have some data on this and it's also good to know that there's no uh significant interactions with, with bic and deravirine either so while this regimen people may say we're well, just going from two pills to two pills who really cares well at the end of the day you're getting some um some bftaf data with Duraverine for one more importantly deravirine is probably um has some advantages over roperin as far as the ppi h2 blocker and lack of food interaction so i think that's really helpful as well um to, so to be able to pair these together Especially as patients get older, with some of the multiple comorb- comorbidities patients may have, and may not be eating as much as they get older, this may potentially be be a, an option for people. So again, now another shattering data, but again, I think a simple switch. The big point here, I think, is that to have some PK data with deraverine, ber- and and vicagavir, knowing that those um, those levels uh, there's no significant PA and inter- PK interactions when the- when those are combined together.
1: John, thanks so much for joining us and telling us about this study of BFTAF with Duraverine in HTE patients. We really hope you learned something new today. To learn more about Nika AETC's work and our role in ending the HIV epidemic, visit us at www.nikaatc.org That's wwwn If you have questions or comments about anything we covered today or if you have suggestions for topics you'd like to hear us talk about, don't hesitate to email us at podcast at Nikaatc.org. That's p-o-d-c-a-s-t at Stay safe and we'll see on Thursday for our next episode of Nika in the know.